1: Fernando Tatis, fat flips, everybody goes crazy. You respond on social media and basically say it's okay. At
0: the end of the day, baseball is entertainment, right? But there's a way to have sportsmanship and entertain at the same time.
1: Game time with Boomer Asiason. This week's guest leads the majors in quality starts. 2020 Cy Young winner, Trevor Bauer. Presented by GEICO. Today's guest is one of baseball's most fascinating stars. He's already established himself as a world-class iconoclast, and he's on his way to becoming an icon, if you will. And it's my pleasure to welcome the reigning National League Cy Young Award winner Trevor Bauer to game time. Trevor, great to see you, and thanks for coming on.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited.
1: Yeah, who says you can't go home again, right? I mean, now, listen i got to be honest with you. I'm a Met fan. I have a radio show here in New York. Uh, I was hoping that you were going to join the staff with Jacob deGrom and Marcus Stroman. That would make us unbeatable, I think. A lot of weird things went on there. But I never held it against you for wanting to go back and play for your hometown team. So I want you to know that. So I I appreciate the decision you made, but that couldn't have been an easy one.
0: (laughs) No, it definitely wasn't. Thanks for not holding it against me. You're probably one of only a couple (laughs) of Met fans that doesn't. It's a free agency is an interesting process, of course, and uh, being back home in LA has been has been really nice for me, getting to see my parents um, basically every start. You know, they've already seen me play more this year than they have in any prior year, so that's been huge.
1: You know, it is an interesting process, but you're an interesting player, and I think you bring the interesting to baseball, and knowing who you are and watching you play out there, you're off to a good start with the Dodgers. You're pitching great. I, I would imagine putting on that uniform has got to be awesome for you.
0: It's such a special moment, especially at Dodger Stadium, you know, I, I run out there to the mound and I'm looking up at the same spots in the stands that I was looking down from as a kid and you know, my dad and I would go to one or two Dodger games a year. We'd have Vince Scully on the radio in the in the bleachers and be sitting in the upper deck or out in the right field bleachers. The, the inspiration, you know, I always I was always thinking if I could just ever be like those guys, it'd be such a dream. And now I'm out there and hoping to provide that same inspiration to the, to the young kids watching me play. Um, which is why I'm so big on entertainment and trying to put out content and connect with the fans so that they have something to latch onto and be like, oh, I, I could be like him. I wear the same shoes or I eat the same stuff or I go to the same stores. So i just trying to, trying to inspire the next generation.
1: You know, I think you're doing a heck of a job with that too as well, especially reaching out to the fans. Now, one of the weird things that you did, your contract... You know, I I thought most players thinking about long term, they want security. You saw Garrett Cole, your former teammate at UCLA, signed with the Yankees here. But you chose to do a three year contract with the Dodgers. It's got all sorts of opt outs in it. Why why did you decide to do it that way?
0: So baseball for me is more about being happy and enjoying my career, having control of my career and flexibility. Um, I want to win. I want to enjoy the organization I'm with, the people that I'm with. I want to As my life changes, different things become important to me. At some point, I may have kids or something like that, whatever, like life changes. And I just wanted to have the flexibility so I could enjoy playing baseball.
1: Yeah. You're also betting on yourself long term that you'll be able to go back to. Well, once again, I'm sure you'll 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 have that success. Now, interestingly enough, you play for the Diamondbacks, the Reds, of course, and of course, the Indians, and now you're in the Dodgers locker room. Tell me what's the difference between those locker rooms and the Dodgers and how the Dodgers do business.
0: Oh, it's just so it's so different every team is different you know the, the reds and and cleveland um yeah you know, I, I can't really speak on the diamondbacks i was only there for 20 days so i didn't get a great chance to to know that one but um you know small market teams in in ohio and uh trying to find ways to get the absolute most out of everybody and um trying to figure it out a uh, you know kind of the underdog mentality whereas the dodgers like we have a lot of really really talented players and a lot of really good people as well uh, it is a little bit more spread out you know, obviously being in LA people live everywhere people have their own lives going on they have families they have. Uh, interests outside of baseball so uh, really the only time that we get to be together as a team is in the locker room in the clubhouse and that's a little bit different than in Cincinnati or in uh, in Cleveland just because. Everyone was kind of downtown or everyone lived in the same apartment complex not as big of a city so. Little differences here and there, but I, I'm enjoying every part of it so far.
1: You know, here's a great thing for baseball, Trevor, and you're right in the middle of it. The San Diego Padres have loaded up. They spent a lot of money. They got over $800 million spent on their infield. Fernando Tatis hits a home run, bat flips. Everybody goes crazy. Uh, you respond on, on social media and basically say, it's okay. It's okay to celebrate. You know, that's he hit one off of me. I get it. I understand it. And uh, you seem to actually push back against maybe some of us older folks that think like, wait a minute, where's the sportsmanship in that you're thinking showmanship and you're thinking about younger player or younger fans and trying to reach out to younger fans. And this could help.
0: No doubt. I mean, at the end of the day, baseball is entertainment, right? The the fan pays a certain amount of money to watch a game, whether it's on TV or it's in person, they expect a certain amount of entertainment out of it and they wanna be entertained in the ways that they're currently entertained. You look at what kids are watching, they're watching celebrations and, uh, in football in the end zone, they're watching dumps on, uh, in the NBA and um, it's, it's showmanship, it's entertainment. And there's a way to have sportsmanship and entertain at the same time. If I'm sitting here doing something directed at you and calling you out specifically, not great sportsmanship, but if I do something and I'm looking at my dugout or I'm talking to my teammate or I'm celebrating a big moment for our team, that can be showmanship while still respecting uh, the opponent. The biggest respect you can have is to play the game at the absolute highest level that you possibly can and see who wins, and that's what I'm trying to do. All
1: right, welcome back to Game Time, everyone. Trevor Bowers High School coach Jim Ozella said of his burgeoning young ace, He's the kind of kid who works at his craft. Most high school kids want to be good, but they don't know what steps to do. He studies the game, and then he goes out, and he does it. Pretty high praise from your high school coach. And I know you were a little bit, I guess, an oddball when you were in high school, but you also loved baseball from when you were a kid. Where did the love come from?
0: Honestly, I have no idea. I, I, I hear stories from my parents that they put a bunch of toys in my crib and I just always grab the baseball ones. So it's just been a lifelong thing for me Before, since before I can even remember, you know?
1: <laughs> but you asked your parents for a private pitching coach. You went to Houston, you worked out in the hot steamy sun of Texas in the summertime. You really wanted to be a major league pitcher and you were gonna do everything you possibly could to get there.
0: Yeah, no doubt, and I, I think I'm lucky because a lot of kids don't figure out exactly what they wanna do until later in life. Um, some people never figure it out. Uh, but I just, for whatever reason, knew from a young age, so it was always a really easy decision for me to go and do it. You know, if it was a choice between going to practice for three hours or going out with friends to the mall, the choice was very easy. I would go to practice because that's what I wanted to do.
1: Now, at a lunchtime, to, when you were a teenager, did you play chess with your physics teacher? <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, so I was I was kind of an outcast because I was a nerd and I was a jock. And so I didn't really fit into either category. So... I didn't have a whole lot of friends in high school and I would go and sit in either my physics class or my calculus class and uh, play chess or do homework and um, yeah we had four or five people that would sit in there at lunchtime and play chess and do extra physics problems and at that point I was so intrigued with uh, Newtonian physics that I was trying to figure out how I could apply what I was learning in the classroom to the baseball field and so it was just again it was a natural choice for me to go in there and try to educate
1: myself and learn more. Did you enjoy yourself in high school, or no?
0: I did not enjoy myself until uh, I decided to graduate early, and I knew I was leaving within a year. Um, and then I had a moment where, you know, I'd gotten up at five thirty in the morning, uh, three days a week, to go to the YMCA to practice uh, my delivery and mechanics in the pool. And so one morning I came home and I was drying off from showering. I was looking at myself in the mirror, wondering, like, why don't people like me? I don't, you know. I, I'm good at school. I'm good at <laughs> athletics. Like I, I, think I do a lot of these things right, but people don't like me. And I just made the decision at that point that as long as I could look in the mirror at the end of the day and be happy with myself, I was going to be good with it. And that's how I was going to evaluate my day and my life. And after that point, high school got a lot easier for me because I no longer cared if someone put me down about my outfit or like something I said or whatever. I knew that I was going somewhere else in life. I was going, you know, to college. I was going hopefully to the big leagues at some point and. Um, It got a lot easier for me after that.
1: Well, you had a brain and you had a fabulous right arm. Journeyman outfielder Steve Hovley, a nonconformist in the baseball world, once remarked that to a pitcher, a base hit is the perfect example of negative feedback. I would imagine that you agree with that, Trevor.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, especially frustrating when you execute the pitch that you think you're supposed to get the guy out and you have all this information that says if I just throw the pitch here, he's out and then he's not.
1: We had Roger Clemens on and uh, he told me the three most important aspects of pitching, location, movement, and then velocity in that order, that it wasn't always about throwing it the hardest. It was really about being able to locate the ball. Do you agree with those?
0: I would put it uh, as movement first, velocity second, and location third. Um, with the caveat that if you don't have elite, like outlier movement, then velocity is by far the more, most important.
1: All right, so tell me about tunneling and what that means when it comes to a pitcher and how, how that affects the way that you pitch.
0: Yeah, so if you imagine a tree, and um, it's got one trunk and a lot of branches coming off of it, right, and if you turn that on its side, where every pitch that the pitcher throws is traveling down the trunk first and then down one of the branches and splitting off. That's basically what a tunnel is. And so you try to throw all the pitches down the trunk of the tree so that at certain point in their flight towards the plate, they all look the same and then have one break one way and one break another way at different speeds so that the hitter doesn't get any early visual clues as to what the pitch is and create maximum amount of deception. Now, sometimes you share the same tunnel for a very brief period of time. Sometimes you can share the tunnel for a much longer period of time. Generally speaking, the longer you can share the tunnel and still create different movements, uh, the more difficult you're going to be to hit, which is why someone like Jacob deGrom is so good, because if you look at his pitches overlaid, like, they all look the exact same until about halfway to the plate, and then they split off in three different directions. It's just really, really hard for people to hit that.
1: That also has to do with arm angle as well, am I right?
0: Yeah, so the first thing the hitters pick up is a deviation in your body. So if you're, you know, if you're here one time and you lean over to the side another time, that's the first visual information that they can get. And then arm angle plays into it. If your hand is up top for a curveball and on the side for a slider, uh, they can generally see that. So the first thing you want to do is control the fact that you don't tip your pitches when you're coming set. The next thing is that you don't change your body in the delivery. And then the third thing is that every ball kind of comes out in the same, like down the trunk of the tree. And if you can do those three things, generally those are the people that are most effective at the big league level.
1: All right, so tell me how driveline baseball comes into all of this and how that helps you become the pitcher that you've become.
0: Yeah, so the driveline helped me in a lot of ways. Uh, I started going up there after the 2013 season, which is by far my worst season in professional sports. I was trying to uh, change my delivery during the season and a lot of different stuff. Didn't really know what I was doing, knew what I was trying to accomplish, but not how to get there. And Uh, So Driveline started off by helping educate me on how to get there. Here's some drills you can do. Here's some things you can do. So understanding why baseball's moved and like how to shape different pitches and high speed cameras and um, okay, we we need something that does this. We need something that does that. Let's go in the lab and create it. And so there's just a scientific approach really to development on the field. You know, where am I right now? Where do I want to be? Let's design a process that we think gets me from point A to point B and then iterate.
1: So how many pitches do you have in your arsenal?
0: Oh, I have six right now, four-seam, two-seam, cutter, slider, change-up, curve ball, Um, and I can throw them all slightly different ways uh, to make them do slightly different things. But I generally like to know exactly what the
1: ball is going to do, so I try to keep them as consistent as possible because they're all designed to do specific things. So Trevor, your dad was a chemical engineer. You majored as a mechanical engineer at UCLA. How do you use that to help you become the pitcher that you are? Yeah, it gives you a process
0: by which you can try to make improvements. Uh, so you know, every engineer kind of gets the same mindset. It's, you figure out exactly where you are and define it really well and know everything about where you are and then figure out exactly what you want to accomplish and everything there is, there is to know about the final product. And then you can design a process in between to try to get better. Um, and so studying that stuff and, and learning physics and learning the scientific method and all these different things helps me evaluate more accurately where I am. So in that way, I think the, the engineering background really helped me because now I can look at uh, data from StatCast, or I can look at high speed film, or I can look at all these different things and say, okay, I, I know I can do this with that, or it fits into the piece of the puzzle over here or something like
1: that. You know, it's interesting. I'm going to throw you a curveball here. I went to the University of Maryland, Terrapins. Our number one, uh, when I was in school there, our number one rival in basketball was Duke. How does a guy who grows up in Hollywood become a huge Duke basketball fan?
0: Yeah, I remember those matchups. They drove me nuts because Maryland would always beat my devils. My dad, actually. So my dad grew up in uh, in New Mexico, and he's a big Lobos fan. And that was during the height of the time when John Wooden's UCLA team would come out, come in and just beat the heck out of everybody. And so my dad was mad about it, didn't like UCLA, and liked any team that could beat UCLA, which at the time was Kentucky and Kansas and Duke and then UNC and stuff like that. And he just liked Coach K for whatever reason. So when I was a kid and he was teaching me about the NCAA tournament. I was like, hey, we root for Duke in this household. Okay, we root for Duke. Great, uh, <laughs> and it started early.
1: You know, it's interesting. I had Coach K on earlier this week, and uh, when he was at West Point, he said that they kind of taught him to work through failure. Do you have a, a, a point in your career where you felt like maybe you did fail and that you learned from that failure and then built back yourself back up to where you are today?
0: I try to fail every single day in practice. Honestly, I love failure. The way I see it, it's the only time you can actually learn anything. If you just continue doing what you're good at, your, your brain stops learning and you stop improving. So my methodology is to try to push myself past my comfort zone, past my ability just a little bit so that I fail at something and then learn and try to figure it out and, and go from there. So yeah, I mean, I failed. I feel like I fail many times throughout the day
1: and uh, throughout the week and every year and all that. So let me ask you about the baseball since you're into science and you're into everything else. You know, we've heard about juice baseballs from a couple of years ago and now I'm hearing about the baseball being dead and uh, strikeouts are up, home runs are down. What's the difference between this year's baseball and last year's baseball?
0: If there is, you know, one? I, don't really, I don't really notice much of a difference personally. Um, you know, I, I throw with a lot of different size baseballs and a lot of different weight baseballs in the off season as part of my training program. So my like when I, when I grab a baseball, some people say, oh, this feels big. But to me, it feels normal, you know, because it's, it's I'm just used to it. Um, but I have heard from people that the seams are a little bit bigger uh, and the baseball isn't quite as hard. It's not wound quite as tightly on the inside. Uh, so bigger seams generally is going to make uh, more resistance in the air, which makes the ball move a little bit more on the way to the plate, but it also creates more drag in the air when the ball's is flying. The um, so balls don't go quite as far, but they move more, which is probably why Strikeouts are up, the movement is up, and home runs are down because, one, it's harder to hit the ball, and then, two, it doesn't go as far as we do. All
1: right, we're back with Trevor Bauer, who is not only dominating opposing hitters, but also the world of media and marketing. And you know, Trevor, you and I were talking a little bit off air about how baseball is marketing the game, but you have actually taken it into your own hands. You're licensed by Major League Baseball. You have your own YouTube channel, which I am a subscriber to, I, I might add. And I find it very interesting. Why do you feel like baseball doesn't do a better job of marketing the sport that you play? Yeah, I think that it's, uh, well, first off, thanks for being
0: a subscriber. I appreciate that. Um, I have my, yeah, my media company, Momentum. We, we exist to connect fans and players on a human level. And I think that's really what players want nowadays, or what fans and players want nowadays. You can't look at people like the Kardashians and the Paul brothers uh, and, and not come to the conclusion that people want to see other people's lives. They want to see authenticity. They want to see what, people are doing, especially people of interest. And I personally think all baseball players are people of interest. Um, And unfortunately, it it just hasn't seemed to be adopted by the league. And for whatever reason, I think baseball is a tough one to market just because we play every single day. So there's less time during the season when people are paying attention to baseball uh, to do stuff. But I find time to do it because it's important to me to try to show an example of, hey, you can do this as a player. This is the benefit you can get. And then also, this is the benefit the fans get. Uh, for moving things forward. And fans fans consume media on online. They're on their phone, they're on Twitter, Instagram, they're on TikTok, they're on YouTube. Uh, a lot of people are cutting the cord there, but they don't have TV uh, anymore. They have streaming services and stuff like that. And if we don't adapt as a sport and deliver content of baseball to people where they are, uh, we're gonna lose market share. And I think we've seen a little bit of that with the NFL and the NBA, uh, doing it really well. Do you, uh, do you read the comment section at all? I do. I try to read the comment section as much as possible. Uh, some of them are <laughs> a little bit tough to read sometimes, but yeah, I try to. I try to answer as many questions as I can from the fans. I try to weave those things into the into the future vlogs or future videos, and ultimately, like it's about connecting with the fans. So, um, trying to figure out what they want to see more of and give them more
1: of that is uh, is the name of the game. You know, my uh, childhood hero was Tom Seaver, and uh, you know, obviously, you know he's one of the greatest pitchers of all time, and. He had a guy by the name of Tommy Hutton that he could not get out. And Tommy Hutton was a good player, wasn't a great player, but just had a hard time getting him out. Is there a Tommy Hutton that you seem to face uh, year in and year out that you have a hard time getting out?
0: <laughs> yeah, Manny Machado. <laughs> Manny Machado, If you look at his numbers against me, it's, uh, it's pretty impressive. He, there was a game earlier this year, he went two for two with two singles, and his OPS actually went down. And like, <laughs> you know, he, he's, he hits like 600 off me. It's crazy.
1: Um, but he's definitely he's definitely the one guy that sticks out. Do you have any other, any reason why that happens?
0: Yeah, I think I threw him fastballs. it wasn't
1: it wasn't smart,
0: uh, but I got I got some stuff for him. My last outing, I got him pretty good. So we'll
1: see if I have made the adjustment or not. Uh, try the dot slider. That's what I would suggest. Maybe he won't <laughs> hit it. Maybe the circle one. We'll try both of them. Our thanks to Trevor Bauer for joining us today, and to all of you for watching. I'm Boomer Esiason, and I'll see you again soon, right here on Game Time. Have you ever thought about throwing a knuckleball?
0: I try. I try. I throw about three knuckleballs every single day. I figure when I'm like 42 and I still want to pitch, but I can't throw hard anymore. Maybe I'll be a knuckleballer, but my knuckleball sucks.